Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. In the program this week, it's that time of the year when Wellington goes crazy with the IRB Sevens and the pressure goes on the men in black to reclaim the title they lost last year. We also hear from one of the minnow countries about the challenges they face just to compete. Les Mills tells us about his new mentoring role with shot put prodigy Jack O'Gill and also shares his thoughts on the future of the Commonwealth Games. The New Zealand basketballers mull over their World Cup draw and veteran of New Zealand motorsport tells us a recent setback hasn't put him off reaching an incredible goal. With Wellington Sevens fever in full swing, most of the focus has fallen on New Zealand and whether or not the men in black can reclaim the title they lost last year. But while the favourites fight with the pressure to win, many of the other teams struggle simply to be here, running their campaigns on the smell of an oily rag. Joe Porter has more. The Sevens World Circuit has hit Wellington, bringing with it 16 teams from rugby-rich New Zealand to European long shots Portugal and Spain. While the hosts aren't wanting for money, many of the other teams can only dream of such resources, and it's not just the minnows. Last month, the International Rugby Board suspended direct funding of more than $1.8 million to the Fiji Rugby Union, leaving them so broke the players are yet to be paid this year, while coach Ben Ryan hasn't seen much of his salary either. We need the funding um, ASAP, you know, and time's running out for us as a, as a resource. We, we need some cash quickly so that and we can retain players and adequately prepare for the tournaments. While it's been much smoother sailing in Wellington, the recent Las Vegas leg really was fear and loathing for the Fijians due to their monetary misfortune. We've gone to the point where we haven't had, you know, bottled water at training sessions. Our bus has run out of petrol. Boys haven't had any playing kit. We've been using old rugby balls and had no training gear. Pacific rival Samoa, another powerhouse battling against the receding tide of financial support. The player pool now so small, coach Viliamu Punivalu must consistently look outside the islands for new talent. This week I specifically asked if I could come and watch one of the Samoan boys playing for Wainuyamata against Fiji, which was good because he, he was the, actually the captain for Wellington, a sevens that actually won the nationals here in New Zealand, which was you know good to see him and he's been coming to our training. If life is tough for the more successful sides, what about those that hail from countries where rugby really is a minority sport? Football-mad Portugal have won eight of the last ten European Sevens titles, but they have only 40 top players to choose from, most of whom are students who had to get special dispensation to miss their exams to come to Wellington. Captain David Matias concedes he covets the cash that the top teams get. If we had the, the same resources that New Zealand has, we'd be able to prepare ourselves better, uh, dedicate ourselves only to, to rugby and get a better results. Believe me, if we have the resources, we, it'd be a lot better. Fan favourites Kenya, who knocked New Zealand out of last year's tournament, face similar challenges, and new coach Paul True, who spent almost a decade as coach of South Africa, is still adjusting. You don't have the, you know, the facilities. You don't have, you know, the expertise. You know, always to assist. And, and most of the players are students, and they're working. So you can only work before eight in the morning and after five in the afternoon. However, True says for Kenya, rugby means more than money. 
The players are fully aware of the fact that they are playing for something much greater than themselves. And there are so many African players, you know, not just in Kenya, but also on the continent, who really are looking for role models and looking for people that they can look up to. Runners-up last year, if Kenya can go one better in 2014, they won't just be role models, they'll be champions. That was Joe Porter. One of the teams that does it tough on the world rugby circuit is Portugal. In a football-obsessed country, Portugal has a rugby player base of just 5,000 out of a population of 11 million. This is the second season they've been part of the core teams on the IRB's seventh series, and they are coached by Pedro Fernandes, who played both sevens and fifteens for his country. He told Barry Guy that the 15s side has been involved in World Cup qualifying in Europe, so it's been difficult assembling his strongest squad for the Wellington Sevens. Now, it's, it's like for us, we, we are very short in numbers, like uh, the players who can play at uh, this standard and the high level of international level, like uh, the World Series and Six Nations um, we play in, which counts this year for the qualifying for the World Cup. It's a really short group, like maximum probably 40 players. So when it when it's on, on, on at the same time, it's always a big struggle for us. Adding that uh, our players don't have contracts, we're not professionals. They all work, they all study in universities, and this time of the year is it's uh, the exam time and universities back home. And so it's sometimes if you get a couple of injuries, like happened this time, uh, some guys not being released by university through exams work and the uh, the 15s on for the qualifier for the World Cup makes it really hard but we look it in the, we knew it's going to be like that when we planned the season and we knew coming to the leg of Las Vegas and um, and Wellington we would we would uh, struggle like in looking into making high points and and and, and keeping adding points for our struggle to, to on our fight to be to be a core team so we knew this going to happen but we look into it as an opportunity to to bring the other guys in, they don't have a lot of ex experience, none at all. So they come here, they they get exposed at at this level. So they have an idea where they're standing, and hopefully they'll they put investment on on their training and preparation, so they can one day be up there. Because I see you only have eleven. Yeah, we got an injury in uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, due to the the number of players we have, we 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 are struggling to get to one. Uh, to come and we had to wait for the 15th game to finish so we could get one guy released to come and, and join us. He'll be on his way probably today and he'll be arriving the latest probably on Thursday morning or Wednesday night. Uh, so do, does that make you a bit envious when you see New Zealand and all the uh, everything that is laid on for them and the New Zealand Rugby Union and the numbers? No, it's, it's the motivation. It has nothing to do with envy. We, we look at them with um, lots of respect and uh, we, they set the standards, you know, and we, we look up to them and try to learn all the, all, all the time with them. You know, it's, uh, New Zealand rugby is uh, huge in, in results, in the way uh, they live their rugby, the values that uh, the, the team, the players, um, they have full respect uh, of us, it's, it's, it's a big thing. I wish back home soccer would uh, would would give the same lessons uh, uh, the national team of New rugby in New Zealand gives to to the nation. You know, it's uh, it's totally different, and I'm proud of it. And looking into it, I, I'm 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 proud of being. We are proud of being in a sport like this in rugby. You know, because back home, 
no one knows a lot about rugby. It changed a little bit because we did play in, uh, in the World Cup 2007 and uh, that changed a bit the, the, the mindset of, of people back home. We don't, we don't have a lot of people playing, but a lot more people now know the game. And um, all the games of the World Series are, are live on, on cable TV, on sports TV. Uh, so is your aim to try and qualify for the Olympics? Do you have to do that? Definitely. And uh, we, that's one, one goal we have. Uh, and it's, uh, we have to take it step by step. Uh, we don't believe that uh, a team who is not a core team, who is not involved during the full season playing at this level, will make, uh, will make the Olympics. So we have to take it step by step. Keep exposing young ones, so we, we have a bigger, a bigger, how do you say, it, a, a bigger base of players to to, to pick, and what we have the knowledge and the ability to play at this level. So we definitely have to set uh, step by step. We will is always our fight is always to keep as a as a core team. Will be was it like that last season? I believe it's going to be the same this season. So our aim step by step, stay as a core team in the IRB World Series. And when it comes the time for the qualification, be beyond and, and have a go. That was Barry Guy talking to the coach of the Portugal Sevens team, Pedro Fernandes. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Bridget Tunnycliffe. New Zealand's two-time world junior shopper champion Jacko Gill has enlisted the help of a couple of heavyweights of athletics. It was announced this week that Valerie Adams' former mentor Kirsten Hellier will lead his coaching team, while the former Olympic discus thrower Les Mills will be Gill's new manager. Mills, the four-time Olympian and 1966 Commonwealth Games discus champion, has taken on the head role for aiding the development of the shot put prodigy. Mills told Stephen Houston that a strong support team will assist the 19-year-old's transition into senior competition. You know, it's a big thing to make the transition from junior to senior. And he only turned 19 a month or two back. Um, so he's really only turned senior and he was, he was still using the 6K shot quite a lot, thinking... He might have another crack at the 6K age group record, but he, he holds it. So he didn't do that at any rate. And um, he's moved fully into making the transition. That takes a bit of time. So he has had a low profile. And he is just quietly making the transition to a 7.26K shot, which is a big transition. I would think that's going to take him probably a couple of years to fully achieve. But um, he's brilliant. I mean, he was the best at every age group right through to 18, best in the world from about 14 years old. And uh, that's fantastic. And he is going to be a great senior in time. Is there a danger of burnout for him, given... There's there's a danger of burnout for every single athlete that trains at an international level in every sport. Not particularly for Jacko, but yes, for every athlete, including Jacko. I suppose the question sort of comes because there has been so much talked about what he might achieve and can achieve that there must be pressure that goes with that. Yes, I think there is pressure. I don't know that Jacko feels that pressure. I think he more feels the pressure that he puts on himself where he wants to win every competition he goes into 
and will continue to do that even into the Commonwealth Games where the chances of him meddling are you know, pretty modest, uh, even if he makes a good transition because there are three or four very good Commonwealth shot putters. And um, he might meddle. He'll think, though, the pressure he'll put on will be, hey, I want to win this, and we're not going to settle for second. Now, <laughs> uh, I don't think he, he worries about public pressure at all. You expect it'll take him a couple of years to sort of feel comfortable on that senior circuit. As a shot putter, though, when would you expect him to peak? Assuming he maintains his enthusiasm for what he's doing in about 10 years. Yeah. So... Because the shot putters generally will peak in their late 20s. He's 19 and uh, I'd say 10 years, but he should be pretty much on top of the game um, at a top Olympic level, you know, with a possibility of meddling, by uh, 2016, Rio in, in uh, Brazil. You think that's a realistic goal? I think it's realistic. It's not, it's not by any means a, a, a lay-down misere, you know, you can't say this is going to happen, but I think it's a very realistic goal. What is it that particularly impresses you about Jack O'Gill? He's mentally driven to succeed. There are very few people that I've, well, I haven't come across anyone at his age that's been as driven as him over the past, well, at all the ages from sort of 14 through to 19. He's got a little motor inside him that uh, makes him want to succeed, to study the event, to understand the technical side of it, the training side of it, and uh, motivates them to go out training hard a couple of times every day. Now, just on, a, on a, another issue, uh, Les, the situation with the, the Commonwealth Games. We've had Commonwealth Games Federation come out and say that there's obviously no one putting their hand up for, for 2022. What are your thoughts on the future of the Commonwealth Games? I think they're rock solid. I don't think... I think it's... I think this is just a media beat-up. Frank, excuse me saying that on air, but it's just a beat-up. I mean, there's going to be people put their hand up. That's that's uh, nine years away, or eight or nine years away. And um, it doesn't take that long to prepare a Commonwealth Games venue. And there are venues around the place who would put their hand up. I mean, we, we're fine. The next one's... After this one, the next one's on the Gold Coast, someone will put their hand up in Canada or England or wherever, um, somewhere where we don't expect it. And um, I don't think there's any chance that the Commonwealth Games is going to go away for a very long time. The the cost is obviously a factor. Do you think we've got to the point now that there needs to be uh, maybe a, a realisation that the cost factor's got to come into it, and maybe scaling back the number of sports? Well, maybe. I, I personally think they've gone a bit too far with the number of sports and the number of competitors and the, the costs of running it, and I think there could be a scaling back. But that takes a lot of doing, because you've got to have not only a willing 
Commonwealth Federation, but you've got to have willing bidders. You've got to have a Gold Coast that'll say, well, we're going to scale it back, and we don't care if anybody minds. Um, we don't care if our transport's not so good and our security's not so good and our venues are not so good. Now, no one's done that yet, and no one's even signaled that they're going to do that. So that's a pretty hard ask. It, it might be the most sensible thing to do, uh, but I don't see anyone doing that yet. Do you think they're still as relevant as what they were? Oh, yes, of course I do. I mean, really, they're the, the, basically the biggest thing that happens in the Commonwealth, and the Commonwealth is a bonding together of nations in friendship, and the Commonwealth game, Games is right at the core of that. Although, do we still get the world champions that we maybe once did? I mean, you've got the likes of the, the sprinters, the likes of your Usain Bolts saying, look, look I'm, I may not be going to Glasgow. But whereas well, previously, you, you maybe did have the, those world champions that would have turned up at a Commonwealth Games. You, you, uh, yes, I think that's probable, although I think there's always been people that haven't turned up somewhere for whatever reason. I mean, every... <laughs> Everywhere things are fought with difficulties. We've had boycotts. You know, the, the Eastern Bloc hasn't come, the Western Bloc hasn't come to the Olympics, the, the Black Bloc hasn't come to the Olympics. Um, people have done all sorts of crazy things. And t in today's professional world, where money drives everything, um, you might get people saying, oh, I'm not going to the world champs, I'm not going to the Olympic Games. And some will say, I'm not going to the Commonwealth Games. So I don't think that matters. I, I think that the Commonwealth Games uh, will get on well with whoever comes. There's Mills was New Zealand's chef de mission at the 1998 Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur and 2000 Olympics in Sydney. The New Zealand men's basketball team learned this week who they'll face at the World Cup in Spain later this year. The Tall Blacks have been grouped with USA, Turkey, Ukraine, Dominican Republic and Finland. They'll play their group games in Bolbal in September and the top four from each group qualify for the knockout round of 16. The assistant coach Paul Henare told Barry Guy that as far as draws go, it's not too bad. You look at the, some of the other groups, you look at Group A and, you know, with Spain, Serbia, France, Brazil and Iran in there, as well as Egypt, you know, that's, that's probably the, the toughest group of them all. Um, yes, we have, we have pulled USA and we've, we've pulled some other teams that, um, you know, are, are really quality. But, um, you know, as, as I said, as far as it goes, I, I think we can do all right in this one. Uh, the USA first. Um, I remember what the Tall Blacks played at the Sydney Olympics, didn't they? But um, yep. meeting them again would be pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, the guys will enjoy that challenge. It's it's obviously a tough ask, and, and you know, not just us, but any team that goes up against USA um, more often than not come come out in there on the uh, on the losing end of things. So um, you know, looking forward to that challenge. But um, you know, until the the draw comes out and we we see you know when we play them or, or what the order is of, of when we play these games, you know, when we come to that that task, we'll face it face it then but um, otherwise you've got to look at it um, you know as you know you've got to make the top four to go through to the uh, the knockout stages and that, that's our um, that's our first goal. Uh, so you must have played them it'll be pretty exciting coming up against the big names? Yeah yeah I played against them uh, a number of times and uh, it, was, it was always a good challenge you know when you when you, you, you play any sport you want to you want to see how you measure up against the best in the world and then and, and right now they're the best in the world by, by a long way 
Um, and uh, you know, like like I said, you know, I mean, I've I've still got a name name their side and uh, and see what what guys they send. Um, but whoever it is that they send, they'll, they'll be a they'll be a quality outfit. Uh, some of the others, uh, you know, Turkey of course has a great uh, competition, domestic competition. Um, but I've heard there's quite a few big reps for Finland, who you know perhaps uh, weren't seen as a big basketball nation, but they've done particularly well. Yeah, Turkey, Turkey are great, and um, you know it just goes to show the strength of the, the sports in Europe. They didn't even qualify um, out of the uh, out of the European Championship. They they had to um, you know rely on a wild card, as did Finland. Uh, but Finland have um, really made some noise over the last few years. Um, I think they finished ninth in, in the Euro um, European Championship. Um, but you know they've, they've got some quality players. Um, there, there'll be a lot of um, countries and names that are at the World Cup and teams that aren't. That uh, you know that are that are very handy sides. And I remember playing against Finland I think, in 2007, um, and we came out in the losing end in that game. So um, you know. Their quality, um, as are most of these teams, and just if not all, all of these teams at, at the World Cup, and we're going to have to do our homework and make sure we're at our best to beat them. I suppose you'll be trying to get matches beforehand and, and build up uh, an appropriate build up. I'm assuming. Yeah, well, that's uh, the, the big part of, of um, you know the draw coming out now is that uh, you know teams over in Europe will be starting to put together their preparations, um, organising you know tournaments in, in their own countries and, and, and other tournaments around the place. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously throw our name out there and, um, and 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 see what happens in terms of you know if we get invited to some of these tournaments. It, it's huge. It's a huge part of um, doing well at a World Cup is, is having a really decent preparation. Obviously, we'll start here in New Zealand with with the trials and a camp. Um, hopefully, we can get some some games here on uh, in New Zealand. We haven't played here for a long, long time, so we can get those locked in and then um, sort of start making our way over to Europe um, where we get some good games on the way, way to Spain. So um, it's just sort of, you know, you wait and see um, what planning is done from over at that end um, and, and then hope, hopefully you get, you get some invites and, and pick up in some of these tournaments. Uh, yes, because you got some funding at the end of last year, didn't you, to prepare for this? Yeah, we did get some funding. Um, I don't, don't think it's ever enough, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll obviously that that comes into it—the the budget and how much we we have in, in terms of what we can do for our preparation. But uh, yeah, as, a, as as an assistant coach and part of the coaching staff, all we can do is focus on uh, on our players and and um, and hopefully we get given the best um, available uh, preparation time and competition um, leading into Spain. And uh, Stephen Adams, you know, is he showing interest in being involved? I have no idea, to be honest. Um, you know, it's, it's all going to come down to, you know, if he wants to play for his country or not. Um, there's there's nothing um, that will hold him back from doing that other than, uh, you know, maybe the OKC Thunder, you know, possibly being in his ear about, you know, his time being best served, uh, you know, spending the off-season with them. Um, but, but they have guys that have represented their countries in the past, you know, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, um, Sergio Barker, who plays for Spain. Um, so they've got guys that um, you know have spent time away while representing their country. So um, hopefully they give, you know, they treat Stephen the same way and give him the opportunity to play for his country. The assistant coach of the New Zealand basketball team, Paul Henare, talking to Barry Guy. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Bridget Tunnycliffe. 
A veteran of New Zealand motorsport who was aiming to clock up his 48th consecutive appearance at this weekend's Grand Prix will have to watch from the stands. Kenny Smith, who won the New Zealand Grand Prix in 1976-1990 and 2004, can't compete at Manfield this weekend because there is no car available for him. He says it hasn't put him off his goal of reaching 50 appearances at the iconic event, though he'll have to miss a year. No one else in New Zealand has come close to his record and the 72-year-old is the oldest man to race in any Grand Prix anywhere in the world. Smith says he's had no problem finding a car to run in the Grand Prix in the past, so I asked him what the issue is. Well, it got full fields and there's no spare cars left, unfortunately, and um, the only two cars that are available or two cars that are around that's not being used is in private hands and... Uh, one car was promised to me, and then the guy changed his mind and said I didn't fit his criteria. And um, you know, we've been friends for years, and I don't understand it. But anyway, that's his call, I suppose, his cars. And uh, so it sort of left us on the hook. So we haven't got a car to drive in the GP. That car that you hoped to race in, the guy, did he choose someone from overseas? No, he chose nobody. They're sitting in a garage in Taupo. They're not going anywhere. To me, it's just absolutely ridiculous that somebody is picketed enough to leave them there. I won't mention his name. He's been a good friend, and I don't see any reason to slag him for that. He's got his reasons. But if it had been the boot being under the foot, he'd ask me if he could have one he wanted to drive. I certainly would have given it to him. It's not a money issue because there was, there was no money uh, mentioned about it. But at the same time, if there's a fee he wanted for it, well, that's fair enough. And he knows if it got crashed, I'd be repairing it for him. But it's just, hey, I don't know where he's coming from. Two of them sitting there doing nothing. Has there also been quite an influx of overseas drivers as well? Yeah, there's um, 19 of them this year and four New Zealanders, so that's got the whole 23 cars packed out. So there's not much uh, hope unless some driver gets sick and can't jump in a car and I'll always be there with a hat on ready to jump in. <laughs> You're part of the furniture at this event really, aren't you? You've, how many years have you been going to this? Well, this will be the 40, if I did this one, it'll be the 48th consecutive Grand Prix I've done. Well, and you're certainly, it was only last weekend that you were racing as well. You're still regularly racing, aren't you? Yeah, I've been racing the Formula 5000, Formula Atlantic cars and Formula Ford right up to date. And this week we're going to run a Formula Ford again just so we've got something to drive around the circuit in. But, um, you know, the greatest hope that maybe a car will appear up by Sunday. I don't think it will, but it doesn't matter about practice. I'll be happy to start off the back and jump straight into it for the Grand Prix without any practice because it's... You know, it's just good to be able to get into that Grand Prix again. And you had sort of had set yourself a bit of a goal to reach 50, is that right? Yep. I'll still try, even though we have to miss a year. Has anyone else clocked up the number of Grand Prix you've appeared in? In New Zealand? No, no. They'd be, be lucky to find any driver's son more than, I don't know, maybe eight, ten at the absolute most. I think I read that you are the oldest man to race in any Grand Prix anywhere in the world. What keeps you going? Oh, I just love it. I mean, I've got no ideas of giving it up, and this is my 56th consecutive year at motorsport without missing a season. And, uh, hey, while I'm still breathing, I'm happy to jump in it, and the body's fit enough to do it. So, you know, I just feel I have to do it. It's like, uh, you know, some people get obsessed about things they want to do, and I'm obsessed about car racing. I can't see anything better than that to do. And it's Toyota that you've been quite loyal to over the years. Yeah. Well, I have. In the last 10 years, they've had Toyota in this class, uh, in this um, 
country for a single-seater class, and they're going to get another 10 years with a new car coming up from next year on again. And, and they've been very good because it's, you know, to have a manufacturer come aboard and do what Toyota's done, you know, they've obviously spent a heap of money getting that thing on the road, and they've helped a hell of a lot of young guys because if you look at the amount of young guys that have left New Zealand, like Hartley and... Uh, um, Earl Bamber, you can keep going on about Richie Stanaway. They've all come out of Toyotas, and it's just been good feeding ground for them. And are you still quite involved with some of the younger drivers, giving them a bit of advice? Yeah, I still do it. I mean, I was involved in, in, with Scott Dixon and Hartley and a lot of the drivers, and uh, and I still do with young kids in Formula Fords and people that are coming up. And I sort of get a... Uh, you know, a kick out of seeing them start from nothing and then all of a sudden you see the improvement and if they listen, they'll, they'll get there and uh, and it's nice to see them get results. You can take out of a sport, but it's nice to put something back in, isn't it? Is buying a car for next year a possibility or is it just too ridiculously expensive? Well, it's not that. Um, the original cars, you could have bought them originally, which I did own one and two. I'd have bought it back off me about three years ago when they wanted cars. Um, the new cars I'll be bringing out won't be for sale. They'll own them all and they just do lease deals with teams to run the overseas drivers, which is probably a good idea, but we have to sort of get our act together early if we want to try and get something going. I mean, to be quite honest, you wouldn't mind doing a whole full season next year in Toyota again, making come back and doing it again in that class as well. And you may be presenting um, a couple of trophies this weekend that will mean uh, quite sentimental to you. Yeah, we've got a trophy for my mother, a memorial trophy, and one for my father which goes to Formula Ford and the other one goes to Toyota. And, um, just, you know, I feel good about putting those up just to keep their name remembered because they put a lot into the sport. My father did and my mother went to every race meeting until she died at Manfield at the racetrack here. Have you had a few phone calls from mates in the scene who have heard about your predicament? Yeah, there's been a lot of people that were sort of scouting around, seeing what else was lying around, but there's nothing. So, and you know, I mean, quite... Um, there's a lot of people who would like to see me do it again for a 48th year, and uh, but their hands are tied, and you know we can't get it. I sort of, uh, you can't make somebody give you something they don't want to give you. I don't understand why, but here we go. <laughs> okay, well, um, I hope at least as a spectator, you, I'm sure you'll still get some enjoyment out of it, and um, maybe something come along at the last minute. But if it doesn't, um, next year. Yep. Yeah. No, we'll keep hanging in. It's not going to stop me getting there. I mean, I. I'm as motivated as ever and I ain't lost my nerve for speed and I ain't lost the nerve to put pressure on people, so I'm happy to go motorsport, you know. That was New Zealand motor racing driver Kenny Smith. And that's the show for this week. Remember, you can contact us at sport at radionz.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. We'll be back next week with another edition of Extra Time. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.